there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, red herrings are not a substitute for foreshadowing. <laughs> we cannot stress this enough, people. As a forewarning, you may hear a lot more background noise in my Mac's recording because it is currently hell outside in the Pacific Northwest. We're getting record high temperatures and I am not turning off my air conditioner. Yeah, it would be literally physically bad for Mackenzie if she turned off her air conditioner. We are at that phase of heat. She would pass out halfway through the recording session and we would not notice until three quarters of the way through the recording session. It would be bad. It's true. <laughs> you say that, but today's movie, I feel like, Mackenzie, you've got a lot to say. I've got a lot to say. I've seen this movie a lot. The first time I saw it was actually the same time the first time Annie saw it. Hold up, we haven't even set the name of the movie yet. Oh, right. Hi, folks, just as a warning, this is our first I Will Fight You since we took an extended hiatus, so it might be a little weird. I'm in England now. <laughs> there have been some life changes. <laughs> but speaking of a, a, a good, a good English fairy tale. <laughs> Actually, I think it's French. Speaking of a good French fairy tale, which is close to England. <laughs> We have such a film for you today, folks. We are going to be talking about the 2011 Red Riding Hood, which you probably don't know exists, but oh, it has a pedigree. Oh, it does have a pedigree. And he's just absolutely devoted to restarting the Hundred Years' War. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all a long con to get back at that young Viscount she's enemies with. We want the Viscount to have to lead troops into battle. <laughs> He must be like 14 years old now, a 14-year-old Viscount. Something like that, yeah. Probably a shitty teen Viscount. Ah, shitty teen Viscount. So my shitty teen Viscount nemesis notwithstanding. This is a movie, folks, directed by Catherine Hardwick, who directed the first Twilight movie. And it shows. <laughs> Boy, it shows. It oozes. Also, this is kind of a situation where the Twilight movies, the first one was directed by one person, and then she got replaced for the rest of the Twilight films. And I actually found, like, this is kind of unrelated, but I just found a really good quote on Wikipedia about it. Oh, God. Amid rumors of a rocky relationship with Hardwick, in 2008, Summit Entertainment announced that she would not direct the Twilight sequel, New Moon. Hardwick said that it was her decision, although a blog reported that she had been fired by Summit. She said... <laughs> I couldn't even be fired. That's what's so funny. In my contract, I had first right a refusal. She turned down the second film, she said, because the studio wanted to rush it out. I do not regret it at all. Thank the Lord, she says. The <laughs> truth is I like the first book the best. Hardwick then went on to direct Red Riding Hood for Summit. <laughs> Red Riding Hood feels like the new moon movie she would have made. Oh, yeah, no, because that's when you start getting into the werewolf shit with Twilight and oh this is and the love triangle shit. <laughs> and the love triangle oh and it's all here folks it's got that DNA also funny story I looked up a couple other people who were involved in this picture I did too it is produced by one Leonardo DiCaprio yeah I saw that yeah. too and I was so confused <laughs> that I decided I wasn't going to think about it anymore <laughs> <laughs> I read that he wanted the werewolf to appear vicious and terrible it is not. Really? Leo, what are you doing here? That was like his one request for the recording and it didn't happen. <laughs> also, the screenplay is by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, which is a lot of names in a row. That is a lot of names. 
David here, he has co-written a lot of screenplays. Some movies you may have heard of, like, oh, The Conjuring 2, The Conjuring 3, and oh, what, what's this? What's this? Oh, it's Aquaman! <laughs> <laughs> and he is also co-writing the sequel! I feel like the screenwriters finally found his niche. I feel like it took him a while, yeah. Yeah, like he, he was kind of circling it with this movie, and then he strayed, and then he came back. And then he came back to an army of crab men. <laughs> also, this movie was shot in Vancouver, and a lot of the side characters and day players are Canadian actors, which means that if you make a habit of watching any long-running show that was filmed in like <laughs> Vancouver or Toronto, you're constantly watching this movie going, oh, hey, I know him. Oh, hey, I know her. Oh, hey, I know him. Michael Shanks, Michael Hogan, and Casey Roll are the three standout examples of this. Michael Hogan was like, I, I know that voice. I know that voice. Captain Bailey? <laughs> yeah, Captain Bailey from Mass Effect 2. And Mackenzie just threw this at me, and I was like, that's why he sounds like a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah, also in, also in Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> which is why they hired him for Mass Effect 2, because the entire casting department of Bioware is nerds. No. But I recognized him first because, of course, I played the Mass Effect Legendary Edition recently, and also I played out Fallout New Vegas recently, and he plays the doctor who welcomes you to the world. In that? Wow. Amanda Seyfried, by the way, is the lead here in all her big doe-eyed wonder. Her father is actually played by the same guy that plays the dad in Twilight, by the way. Charlie! Like all the Twilight movies, it's the same guy. It is Charlie of Charlisle. <laughs> Catherine Hardwick worked with Billy Burke and was like, you've got good dad energy. Come be in this movie, too. Just sh shave off your mustache and look completely different. Honestly, that mustache transforms that guy's entire face. It does! Two other things. The mom is played by Virginia Madsen, who I wouldn't call her a screen queen, but she has been in, like, a lot of horror movies over the years. She's got a long and storied career in the horror genre. She was in, like, Candyman. Hell yes. She's very hot. And then the lady playing Grandma is the same lady who played Aislinn, the mother from Dragonheart. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's Julie Christie. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, what a star-studded cast on this film. Yeah, and also Gary Oldman's here. Also Gary Oldman's here. We cannot stress enough that Gary Oldman is in this movie yeah. in the most way that one can be in a film. <laughs> Gary Oldman is the most in this movie out of any actor who's in this movie. <laughs> oh my god, okay, okay. I really, I really want to get to Gary Oldman, so we should get this started. <laughs> you got it. Like in Twilight, we open on vast landscapes that are totally irrelevant to the movie. <laughs> yeah, we actually see a couple of, like, town shots as we as we swoop through the mountains. Those are not in this movie. There's a massive castle, like, sitting on the edge of this lake. Never see it again. It's not even the one castle from all the puzzles. Nope. I cannot emphasize how much this is not British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> It's all very pretty, but we don't get to go to there, so there's really no point to showing it to us. No, we do so many long pans over landscapes until we eventually end up in this little remote village built out of Lincoln Logs. And we see and we... Uh, baby Amanda Seyfried, who will come to learn to name Valerie, uh, skipping through the woods. Literally skipping. Little Valerie skips down the lane. We pass like a pig who's getting sacrificed and at a very weird moon altar. Yeah. yeah. The pig also is tiny. It is teeny tiny. It is a little baby pig so that you feel bad as opposed to a giant adult pig who you would feel less bad about. <laughs> 
Yeah. Honestly, if you're sacrificing a little baby piglet instead of a full-ass pig to a wolf, then it's on you if you get at. Yeah, agreed. And Captain Bailey's like, would you rather it be you who died to a little girl who's looking sad that they're sacrificing a piglet? And we get this narration where adult Valerie or teen Valerie is like, my mother often told me, don't talk to strangers. (laughs) Go get water and come straight home. My notes here are, what strangers? You live in a tiny medieval village. You know everybody. Who here would qualify as a stranger to you? Look, folks, this is a really remote village. There is nobody for miles and miles and miles. There's barely even a road out of this village. It is insulated. It is all the exact same people that you have known every single day since you were born and will know every single day until you die. Don't talk to strangers. And also, like, the movie just sort of doesn't seem to acknowledge that at all. It keeps talking, like, it's trying to straddle the line between, like, a more contemporary idea of characters, but it doesn't quite, like, reckon that with the tiny remote village setting. Everyone here has an American accent, by the way, except for Gary Oldman, but we'll get to that. (laughs) They're not even trying. This takes place in I don't care in the year I don't care. (laughs) Oh, come on. This isn't even historically. This is a fantasy village somewhere don't worry about it yet we have characters crossing themselves and a character mentioning the pope so the catholic church exists in this fantasy world right and also important note while the rest of the cast is wearing orin fair i bought this off etsy quick cheap stuff whenever young valerie encounters young peter uh, because peter and the wolf (laughs) get it do you get it? <laughs> he is dressed like a young goth Peter Pan. Yes, that's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> He's just some Peter Pan looking kid. And he grows up with the most modern haircut and clothes imaginable. These kids are implied to be the same age, but baby Peter is like twice the size of baby Valerie, which is weird because girls are generally bigger than boys at that age. They hit their growth spurts earlier, which means that they deliberately went out and cast an older boy just so that he could be taller than baby Valerie. (laughs) And so like she goes, she wanders out and there's like, oh no, there's this bad boy, this Peter Pan kid. (laughs) And they're like, let's go. Let's go try to capture a rabbit with an incredibly elaborate cage that we strap together, like a box with a stick under it. And it's like, just use a snare. Don't worry, this will come back in like the stupidest way possible. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, no, they actually catch the most docile rabbit you've ever seen. I cannot emphasize enough how much this is a domesticated rabbit. (laughs) This is a tame-ass rabbit. They lift the cage up. It does not attempt to get away. They lift the cage up and the rabbit sits there waiting to be picked (laughs) up and given a treat. (laughs) And then they're like, oh, you should cut its throat. No, you. No, you cut its throat. And it's like, it's a rabbit. (laughs) It's a rabbit in the wilderness. There should be snares set up like all along the fringes of town. I don't... Valerie pulls back her knife and then we flash forward to modern day Valerie, who is a teenager. Now, Valerie and everyone in this village, I don't know where these people are getting all these dyes, frankly. (laughs) Valerie's in this like powder blue dress. Her grandma is going to be in something that's practically indigo. Everyone here is wearing so many colors and I don't know where they're getting them. Everyone here being only the main characters, of course. Except for Peter, who always wears black. 
Which is also very expensive. He dresses in like <laughs> skin tight jeans and like a V T shirt and his hair is like gelled perfectly to like the twenty eleven fashionable style. Like the Peter Pan look. This is some twenty eleven ass hair. Yeah. <laughs> Teen Valerie's wandering amongst the woodcutters and she's like, I know good girls aren't supposed to hunt rabbits or go off into the woods alone. And it's like, what are you talking about? Rabbit snares are typically something. They had women doing because that was easy to do for women. Why don't you have snares? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand either. She wanders through the woodcutters. She ogles Peter, who again is in like skinny jeans and like a deep cut tunic. (laughs) Just sweating beautifully, (laughs) wearing all black in the sun. And oh no, he left his axe behind to go eat lunch, but now it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) So Peter turns, and of course there is Valerie holding the axe and posing. She like jumps out behind a tree in the weirdest way. Yeah, she does. I don't even know how to describe it. She's got like her legs splayed and she's like crouching a little bit while holding the axe. Ha ha! Ha ha! I've got your axe! What is that voice? I don't know. What is that voice, Mackenzie? What was that? What was that, Mackenzie? <laughs> I don't know. You and Gary Oldman are the only people doing accents <laughs> for this movie. <laughs> Valerie and Peter flirt and exposit. Like, it turns out that Valerie has been arranged by her parents recently to marry someone named Henry Lazar. I also need to note that, like, the chemistry between Peter and Valerie is, like, how, how to describe it? It's not that it's not... It's not that it's not there. They are very horny teens. They are very horny teens, but it feels like it's not necessarily for each other. Yes, they are. They have a lot of horny energy, but it's not necessarily that they make each other horny, just that they are teenagers and therefore ambient horned. Exactly. General atmospheric horned. There we go, yes. Yes. And they just happen to be the two people in the same room together with the same atmospheric horn. Yeah. Valerie's like, oh, yes, I have been arranged to be married, which is wild, by the way. She's like, oh, my mother finally got what she wanted. Money. Money. (sighs) Whose money? What are you talking about? (laughs) It's a tiny town. What What is happening here? It's a tiny town, and near as I can tell, we find out Henry's a blacksmith, and near as I can tell, the blacksmith family is not that much better off than the woodcutter family. And also, I feel like in a town that probably is focuses on lumber, the woodcutters might edge out the blacksmiths a little bit. Yeah, lumber has to be the chief export here because there's literally nothing else. Nobody's, like, crafting or making a trade. Maybe they sell all these fabrics they keep dying. I don't know. <laughs> it's wild, again, that she's like, I don't even know Henry. And it's like, you have you to. You have to know he's him. like, right around your age. And he's also, like, maybe a block away from your house. And again, he's the blacksmith. Everyone knows the blacksmith. Everyone needs something fixed. You go to the blacksmith. So Henry's like, oh, we should run away together. Run away with me. And, you know, then the saxophone from Carly Rae Jepsen's emotion starts in. (laughs) (laughs) And they start sidling towards this pair of pack horses that presumably they're just going to ride bareback out of town. Like, that's not a great idea. But okay. (laughs) In the mountains, that's going to be awful. And then there's a loud gong, 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 which apparently means someone died to the wolf or something, or the wolf did something. Yeah, they have a, the wolf killed someone bell, specifically. (laughs) 
Which they mentioned specifically, the wolf hasn't killed anyone in 20 years. So I don't know. Maybe they just had like wolf bell drills sometimes. <laughs> so they rush back. They just cut off their journey because this is something that's worrying. Valerie rushes up to her friends who are all gathered with like little red eyes. She's like, who did it? Who happened? Well, who it happened to? And all the kids are like, <laughs> what happened? What happened? Who it happened to? One of these friends is Casey Roll, by the way, who played Abigail Hobbs on Hannibal and ruled at it. All three friends are like, it's your sister, Valerie. And Valerie goes, no, and charges around the corner to see her sister with three dainty scratches on her, but surrounded by blood. We see a girl who we can only assume is her sister. We have not been introduced to this person at all. (laughs) And like, she looks at her parents and she's like, mother father which is the hell of a thing to say to address your parents when your sister is dead just this incredibly (laughs) wooden mother father (laughs) here's what baffles me is that we had a childhood flashback scene why couldn't we have spent some time on this girl's relationship i didn't even know she had an older sister until this scene yeah and it's not even really clear whether she's an older sister or a younger sister until later in the movie when some dialogue indicates it and that dialogue only indicates it because it's supposed to be like this haunting oh no thing. We have no introduction of this character at all, which is wild because we spend so much of like the first act grieving this character, watching the cast grieve this character. You gotta introduce characters you want to manage the plot. <laughs> That's a thing you gotta do. Like, we have to at least mildly care about this person or at least be like, oh, yeah, I knew them. But we don't. But instead, it's just like, I don't think we ever really see her face. It's just important that she's dead. They didn't want to pay her for her face. They just wanted to pay her for the back of her head. And it starts dramatically snowing and it's not going to stop snowing for this entire movie. But the snow's ever actually going to collect. It's just going to be like kind of a light dusting on the ground for the rest of the film. There's never going to be slush. It's just basically powder. It's just a slightly coarse flower on everything from this point forward. Sometimes they'll show it in black and white and your brain is like, oh, that's just a bunch of dust and sand. There's a couple of scenes where I was like, why is there sand? Oh, that's supposed to be snow. Exactly. We cut to them laying out the body of Valerie's sister, whose name I guess is Lucy. Oh, Valerie's dad. is He drinks too much. <laughs> Her friends comfort her. There's also a kid named Claude here. Welcome back to Claude. Welcome back to Claude. Claude is implied to be somewhere on the spectrum. Claude has some kind of intellectual disability, and it's not made any more clear than that, because why would you? It's not important. Anyway, in comes Madame Lazar, apparently, including Henry Lazar. We get our first look at Henry, the the fiancé. <sighs> He's kind of like a shaggy-haired blonde boy who has somehow even less personality and even less chemistry with Valerie than Peter does. He's got kind of a doughy face. I can't tell Peter and Henry apart. I don't think I should be expected to tell these two boys apart. (laughs) (laughs) One of them wears brown. The other one wears black. (laughs) Everyone wears black. (laughs) But Henry is apparently supposed to be the wanted through town for being handsome and rich because Prudence, one of Valerie's friends, is like, Hi, Henry! And that's supposed to be like an indicator of that, I think. We are laying out 
a body here. It's basically like it's a vigil. It's a funeral. Suddenly, everyone is, including Valerie's mom, is entirely concerned with, you should go talk to your fiancé. You're going to be married. Nice. Why aren't you getting along with your fiancé? And Valerie's like, I barely know him. And it's like, no, you, you know him, honey. You know him. Huh? You know him, honey. You know him, honey. And her mom is like, well, I wasn't in love with your father when we first got married, but I came to love him. I was in love with someone else. It's like, who are these people arranging peasant marriages? <laughs> also, that's a hint towards a later plot point. Which is just going to be super. Virginia Madsen is doing her best. <laughs> I also want to talk about, like, her costume in this movie involves this crocheted shawl with the biggest eyelets you've ever seen. And it's like, is this supposed to keep her shoulders warm in the winter? I don't understand. A lot of the costuming choices in this movie are strange confusing whenever valerie won't talk to henry henry decides to be the better person here and he turns he's like gentlemen let's all go to the bar and leave the ladies here to their morning cesare you too cesare being valerie's dad which is a real name for this guy to have when (laughs) real name everyone's names are like valerie peter henry cesare yeah So they all head off to the bar where all the men are like, the wolf has broken its truce. Yep. Yeah, like they all start laying out like wolf rules for this movie. And it's like, oh, we should all kill the beast. This is also when we get introduced to Henry's dad, who is Michael Shanks of Stargate. (laughs) Don't worry, he dies soon. (laughs) and a bunch of other stuff but mostly stargate the priest of the village is like oh we should wait i've summoned father sullivan like that means anything (laughs) it also turns out that father sullivan just lives like a day or two away apparently yeah it does not take long for father sullivan to get here in the grand scheme of things also he's gary oldman and oh and father sullivan gets here (laughs) oh and father sullivan gets here in the meantime though We cut back to the funeral. Valerie finds out right then and there, by the way, that her sister had a crush on Henry and she had no idea. Again, I feel like this could have been introduced before now. At any time. It could have been introduced organically when we were learning about the sister. So we cared about her. And the thing is that like someone having a crush on someone else is not a hard thing to stage with a camera. Nope. All you gotta do is do a couple of like meaningful glances and rack focuses. You could have done this non-verbally. But instead, here we are. And she's like, what? My sister like a boy? Ooh, what? I don't understand. What? Peter shows up at this point and is like knocking on the door so he can come in and kind of help Valerie through it. And her mom is like, No, if you love her, you'll let her go. She'll have a better life married to Henry. You have nothing to offer her. Woodcutters don't earn any money. (laughs) Henry is her only hope for a better life in the same town. In the same town? It's a slightly different house. I feel like this would have, like, any kind of impact at all if we ever saw Henry's house, but we don't. No, the closest we get is knowing that, like, his grandma is called Madame. Yeah. And she dresses kind of nice. That's all we've got. I also feel like this back and forth would have more tension if Valerie showed any interest in Henry ever. But she doesn't. She's not even like ambient horned at him. No, she's just like, I only want Peter, 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 Peter. I have a theory that helps me with Henry, though. Yeah. I came up with it while I was watching it. I think Henry is gay and he's trying very, very hard to pretend to be straight. And that helps my reading of this character. You know, I could see it. 
he has zero chemistry with Valerie and he just seems like kind of confused about the whole like horny thing. He does have like some weird rapport with Peter which that definitely feeds into your theory here. Uh Uh-huh. And he's often like how about we just leave the ladies here let's go do something all us guys. Just us guys. Just us guys. The weird like vague muddled confusion with which this character approaches any of his romance scenes leads me to think that his interior monologue is something like yes I I I enjoy the vaginas. <laughs> I want to eat a pussy. <laughs> anyway, let's kill the beast. Let's kill the beast. Yeah. They keep trying to get the Speeding and the Beast song started. <laughs> and then Peter's like, but maybe we should like, now that we've laid out the werewolf rules in this universe in a very, very cool and normal way, which is like... <laughs> We all know the rules, as you all know. <laughs> it's what werewolves can't cross onto holy ground. Can't go out in sunlight. I think there's a third one. If there is a third one, it doesn't matter in the movie. No. That's true. And Henry's like, I don't know. Maybe we should wait for the father because he said that he summoned Father Sullivan. And somebody else like, are you a coward? And he's like, no, let's kill the beast. <laughs> you don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And this monster is mysterious, at least. Oh, we're getting sued. And then we cut to Valerie, who I think was just kind of knitting in the tavern. Maybe this is a different day. I think it's a different day. Except for then suddenly everybody's all gathered and Commander Bailey is like, that's it. Nobody else is coming. That's like half the village, man. It's like half the village. What does he want? And Valerie goes off to Peter and she's like, Peter, be careful. And he's like, I'm white fanging you now. (laughs) Don't you understand? I don't like you anymore. And Henry's like, hey, hi, hi. Here's a bracelet. I (laughs) I definitely like you, I think. Hi. I... Uh, bracelet for a girl? (laughs) This is what girls like, right? Girls like jewelry? I think. Okay, bye. (laughs) Yeah, every single line of his might as well have like five to ten question marks after it. (laughs) (laughs) The men go off to hunt a beast while Valerie goes off to her grandmother's cottage, which, okay, this set, this set, this set right here, I want this house. (laughs) This house rules. This house is witchy as shit. It's like raised up off of the ground. It's kind of on stilts. It's basically like quasi built into the side of a tree, like a really big tree. I love this house. I want to live here. And look, it's our old friend Aislinn of the Celts from Dragonheart. She's here to also offer some like kind of vaguely mystical thing. (laughs) Speaking of women who have really terrible sons. (laughs) Yep. So grandmother is here. We're here at grandmother's house. She and Valerie like talk about Valerie's sister who is dead, by the way, in case you forgot, because kind of the movie does. Yeah, she's dead and she's very important. Don't worry about it. She's like, oh, here, have this stew. All sorrows are less with bread. Also, honey, I made you a beautiful red cloak. Where did I get red dye? Good question. Good question. How come your cloak changes links sometimes? Who knows? <laughs> sometimes it's a perfect cloak. Speaking of which, I have my cloaks over my window right now. I love that about you. It's your winter cloaks? They're my winter cloaks. I'm hanging over my window to block the sun. Spectacular. Look, folks, you got to use what you got. So she gives her this red cloak with this enormous hood. And she was like, it was going to be a wedding present. And Valerie's like, I don't feel like it's my wedding. 
I feel like I'm being sold. <laughs> we also never actually do any like wedding planning, so it's not even like they're getting married. It never actually feels like the real problem. I am so tired. I'm so tired of fantasy taking place in quasi-historical settings where they take rules of marriage that applied to the nobility and just assumed those apply to the peasantry as well, despite the fact that their lifestyles were very different. What on earth do these peasants have to negotiate for? <laughs> There's a difference between, I mean, we're friends and like our kids are about the same age. I don't know. Let's just say they get married at some point. And, like, there's an expectation to get married. But, like, there's a difference between that and we have negotiated a marriage contract with a dowry in order to secure an alliance between our two people. There is nothing at stake here. It is either marrying someone who is young and works in the lumber industry, which seems like it's the primary export of the town, or it's someone who is a blacksmith and is also like a public institution in the town and maybe has like a fancy thing because he has a last name. Maybe. 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 We don't know for sure. Don't worry about it. We have this really long scene where a bunch of characters we don't care about hunt a wolf in a dark cave. We don't see a goddamn thing in that cave. <laughs> That's like season one and two supernatural lighting in that cave. We have brief glimpses of doughy-faced men. Someone looks upset. Someone's like, I wanted to thank you for something something Valerie. <laughs> Somebody dies, I guess. This is going to come back later. So Michael Shanks dies. Henry Lazar's dad. Henry's dad, Michael Shanks, gets murked by a wolf. Valerie wakes up from this nightmare. I guess she mentions something with her grandma that, like, the wolf used to kill entire families, apparently. She wanders through town and there's this weird thing where, like, there's a first-person camera that's, like, following her around. And I guess it's supposed to be tense, but it's not clear if it's supposed to be, like, a point-of-view shot or not. Or if it's just, like, shaky cam for some reason. It uses the psycho cam, like, a little too liberally and in cases where it doesn't make <laughs> sense to do so. It just ends up being Claude, by the way. I guess we're... St I, I don't know. Claude is like a jump scare several times in this movie. Which is a cool thing to do for this character. Absolutely. Oh, Claude. The villagers are back. They have a wolf head on a pike like it's the freaking Lord of the Flies. They're all celebrating, but then they all stop because a cart walks by with Henry's dad's body on it. And the Madame Lazar just sort of glares in at the tavern. And Valerie's like, oh, I should go see if Henry's having feelings. Yeah, none of the dead bodies in this movie look dead, by the way. <laughs> oh, no. No, not at all. There's very little effort put into making the corpses look like corpses. They did not try. So we go see Henry and, all right, all right, all right, look. Henry is having feelings to hammer them away. And, 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 and so he's just doing blacksmithing. He's pounding on some metal because it's hot and anvil and whatever. And I just... Look, this boy's face is not anything big to look at, but I feel like if you wanted to try and maybe make a case for him, maybe the blacksmith boy who is really emotional <laughs> and is blacksmithing, maybe should have taken off his shirt a little? Yeah, maybe even just like something sleeveless to show off the arms. Because there's clearly arm muscles under there. Like if you want to make a case for this boy, like show off his arms. He is a blacksmith. The reason Smith is just a, such a common surname is because blacksmiths f***ed more. <laughs> oh yeah straight facts it was the arms we all know it was because of the arms we all know it was the arms have you seen the arms the arms are so good arms though 
Arms. Arms. But instead, he is very clearly working through complicated homosexual feelings. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, I don't want you to see me like this. Having feelings. (laughs) I just don't understand why. Like, he comes back to the scene. We see him forging twice in this movie. And at no point is his shirt off. And I don't understand. Right. If you're going to have a blacksmith scene, he needs his shirt off. None of the boys in this movie take their shirts off. Arms, though. No, that is a prerequisite for having a blacksmith scene. <laughs> it's like in the guild writer's contract for movies. Blacksmith must be shirtless. Yeah, I don't care if it's dangerous. They gotta be. <laughs> this movie is supposed to be sort of like a erotic gothic romance, but at no point does anyone get their kid off. No. Mm-mm. Which is wild because like they're already walking around a snow laden village with like the flimsiest, sheerest clothing anyway. Yep. Nobody looks warm. Valerie wanders away from Henry and wanders past where Henry's dad's body is and sees her mom in there crying. Instantly assumes like, oh my god. It's not that you've lived in this village your entire life and there's another guy that maybe you actually knew because he was around your same age and you grew up together. No. He was the man you were in love with when you married my father. And from here, Valerie makes several jumps. Valerie's like, my sister was older than me and had a crush on Henry Lazar. You could have married her. But instead. But instead you married me. Because you were still in love with Adrian and she was his daughter. And these are all correct assumptions, it turns out. These are all correct assumptions, it turns out. Not only that, but I'm so deeply confused about like, okay, if Valerie's mom wanted money so badly, she already had an in because she was in love with presumably also a blacksmith, Henry's dad. And yet she married a woodcutter, even though she didn't want to. And despite the fact that he made less money, what was the decision-making process for that (laughs) marriage? extremely unclear. Again, who arranged this marriage and why? Who cares about peasant marriages? News at 11. (laughs) I really like this scene just right in by itself with Valerie and her mom because it establishes Valerie making a lot of assumptions and a lot of immediate rushing to conclusions based on very flimsy data. And this will carry forth in the rest of the movie. This will serve her well throughout the rest of the plot. (laughs) But all of that aside, this movie is about to ratchet up to 11 because Father Solomon is here. Yep. It's time for Gary Oldman, everybody. Here comes Gary Oldman. Oh, God, there's a whole procession. It's like a great big, what is clearly supposed to be a carriage, but looks more like a prison wagon up to the fact that there are bars in the rear window. A whole bunch of armed men, and then they're wheeling behind them a great big bronze elephant. This will come back. (laughs) That's not a decorative bronze elephant. We wish it didn't come back, but it comes back. Oh, boy, does it come back. Two of the armed men pull their helmets off, and we see the only two black people in the entire movie. In fact, the only people of color in the entire movie are part of this procession. There's at least two black men. I think there might be some more who just don't get lines. Uh, And then, like, there's at least one Asian guy. Yep, that's it. Those are our people of color. Everybody else is pasty white. They're like, hello, we are foreign to you. We speak (laughs) with accents. And we're like, oh no, accents. And they throw open the doors of the carriage and out walks Gary Oldman. In fuchsia. These beautiful fuchsia robes. 
and an accent that I don't know what this is. I don't know what this <laughs> accent is. Is it German? Is it Irish? Because his name's Sullivan? We just don't know. And as he steps out, two little girls go, Dada, no, do not go after this werewolf. And he is like, honey. <laughs> Mackenzie, what is this accent again? I don't think the little girls had an accent, Mackenzie. <laughs> I don't know. And Father Solomon's like, baby girls. I have to take care of a werewolf. Look how scared they are. They are scared like you. There's a big bad wolf, he says, and then looks right at the camera because it's a Red Riding Hood movie. He winks. Is it the beast that killed our mother? He's like, oh, maybe. And then he just sort of shoves them back in the carriage and the little (laughs) girls leave the movie forever. Well, the last we see of them is them wrapping their little hands around the bars in the back of that goddamn (laughs) prison wagon. And then we never see them again. Like, of all the characters, he mentions having daughters, but they don't actually need to be in the movie. But they decided to give screen time to these kids as opposed to Valerie's sister. Commander Bailey steps forward and he's got a wolf head on a stick and he's like, as you can see, the werewolf has been dealt with. Now we're going to have a party. And Gary Oldman's like, that's just a regular wolf, man. He goes on this long-winded explanation. (laughs) Oh my God. It's a I was once like you speech. <laughs> and he talks about how he fought this werewolf and he ripped its arms off. And when the morning came, the arm became his wife's arm. And he said that the werewolf killed his wife, but really, I did. He delivers so much narrative. <laughs> In this, like, two minutes than in the rest of this movie thus far combined. Can I just watch that movie instead of this one? (laughs) Like with Gary Oldman and his two little girls killing his wife wolf? That sounds great, actually. (laughs) Yeah, this shit's like a reverse bluebeard. It's good as hell. The idea that, like, you know, he manages to hack off the werewolf's paw and then he goes home and finds his wife cradling a bloody stump. And when he unwraps the wolf's paw, it's his wife's hand with a wedding ring on it instead. Like, that's dope as hell. Why aren't we watching that movie? (laughs) That's some straight up, like, actual fairy tale shit. That's great. But no, they're like, eh, you're stupid. Let's go into the tavern. And like the father is here. The priest of the village is simping real hard for Gary Oldman. Oh, it's a silver sword blessed by the Holy See. May I touch it? And Gary Oldman looks at him like, no. Incidentally, in the Witcher books, the reason that Geralt so rarely uses the silver sword is because silver makes a really terrible sword. (laughs) It's too soft. Silver's really soft. (laughs) Okay, 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 okay. Time for some astronomy facts. Oh boy. So Gary Oldman's like, this is a very dangerous time. You know what a blood moon means? A blood moon is a lunar eclipse during a full moon. It happens like once or twice a year, pretty common. The explanation for what a blood moon is completely wrong, by the way, in this movie. It involves pulling out an incredibly elaborate orrery, like one of those little mechanical solar system models. Quick side note, if you look up the Wikipedia article for an orrery, it contains maybe the dumbest sentence I've ever seen in the English language. And the sentence is this, orreries are usually not built to scale. (laughs) Oh my god. Now, I have a question. <laughs> the word usually is doing a lot of work there. Where, where is the Ori? That, where, where are the few Ori's that have been built to scale? Can I see it? <laughs> oh, 
that's really good. <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> so anyway. So Gary Oldman's definition of a blood moon says the red planet converges with the blood moon once every 13 years. This is the only time a new werewolf can be created. What happens once every 13 years in the solar system, I ask you? Cicadas. 17. Is there also a 13 year? Maybe. But that's not really in the solar system. I'm saying astronomy. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Cicadas are a bit of a localized thing, unless there's space <laughs> cicadas true. I don't know about, which seems likely, honestly. <laughs> Coming soon to Jim Jammer, space cicadas. Oh, don't get me started. <sighs> if you just want me to spend an entire uh, session screaming, I can do that. <laughs> Physically, I don't think you can. Well, we'll see how far I get. It may be a short session. <laughs> Gary Oldman introduces some new rules here that says that during the week of the blood moon, the wolf can pass on his curse with a single bite. And until the blood moon wanes in three days, you will never be truly safe. And then he's like, it turns out we've been playing a game of werewolf this entire time. The wolf lives in the village. <laughs> hey, kids, now we're going to play Secret Hitler for the rest of the movie. <laughs> You have probably played this game at camp, and that's the rest of the movie now. Gary Oldman is like, we need to bar the doors of the village. No one leaves until the wolf is dead. And the mayor is like, whatever, let's have a party. And now for a very weird party. This is a deeply weird party. Even by the standards of early 2011s pretending to be at Ren Faire. Like, this is a <laughs> weird party. There's just a lady standing there, like a human statue with a great big giant burr on her head, just posing. Let's run down the band here. So first off, we got our centerpiece, which is, of course, a hurdy-gurdy. Yes, of course. Love a hurdy-gurdy. We've got some guys with drums. We have these guys with... Okay. I don't know what these are. They look like bassoons, but brass. But I don't think they're like a saxophone. They got kind of a didgeridoo sound to them. They don't seem to have like notes or anything. They just blow in one note, which makes me think that they must be like kind of a brass thing because I don't think that's a reed instrument. But like the mouthpiece is coming from the middle like a bassoon. I don't know. Mackenzie, you look this shit up sometimes. Do you know what these are? I have no idea. Indiscriminate horns. <laughs> there is what I think is a non-diegetic vocal part of this song there's lyrics but it is separate from when everybody just goes woo <laughs> it feels kind of like closer to some sort of bacchanalia yeah it does some sort of orgy maybe there are like also like little play actings going on in the background with people dressed as pigs and the big bad wolf with weird masks and like I'll blow your house down <gasps> and like all the pigs collapse. The pig masks look like Shrek. <laughs> they do. <laughs> There's lots of fire. Everybody's super drunk. The priest, by the way, has barricaded himself in the church because. Parties aren't for priests. Party scary. Party scary. A girl came on to him and he had a crisis, so he had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> he had a boner and he needed to excuse himself. So Valerie finds her dad passed out drunk while a dude like teabags him. I guess. I guess. So she like sends him home and he like paws at her face and he's like, you're my good girl. Yeah, we're. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to examine that too closely. I mean, 
the problem is that the rest of the movie's gonna. Uh, yeah. <sighs> also, at one point, he flicks a bit of vomit off of his shirt and says, oh, I'll just get rid of this and then I'll be good to see the Pope. Which, again, Catholicism exists in this fantasy universe, I guess. But they also don't seem to be Catholic. They also don't seem to be Catholic. It's very confusing. We also have, like, a couple of other scenes of people partying. Claude shows up while the soldiers are guarding the gates and does, like, a... Pulls out a card from behind a guard's ear. And it's like, hoo-hoo-hoo! And Gary Oldman is like, oh, where did you learn that trick? And would you believe that's going to be relevant to the plot? <sighs> it's going to be relevant to the plot. We do also never learn why this kid, A, has a tarot deck, and B, knows close-up magic tricks, but, like... <laughs> I do want to know where he learned close-up magic tricks. Not yeah. because I think he's a witch or something. I just want to know where he learned that. Yeah, just the mini-story of someone having taught him close-up magic is, I think, very interesting, and we never find out about it. Okay, so Peter is, like, white-fanged Valerie at this point. He's like, no, we had our fun. I'm wrong for you. No, we are not a thing anymore. You deserve better. So, Valerie sees Peter... And her friend, whose name is apparently Rose. Okay, so like, it's a dance where people all know the steps to it. There's a thing where you put your hands together and slowly pace around in a circle. But also then you like grind against the other person. Yeah. Yeah, this is not historically accurate dancing. (laughs) And the thing is, Peter is dancing with Rose. And he has like 5,000 times more chemistry with Rose in this one moment than he does with Valerie the rest of the movie. It's still the same like aimless haunt. But like, speaking of chemistry, (laughs) speaking of chemistry. So then Valerie's like, hey, Prudence, come dance with me. Prudence, 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 listen, listen, Prudence, Prudence, Prudence. I need to make him jealous, but somehow my dance with you is going to be way more sexually chemistry filled than anything I do with Peter. Yeah, poor Prudence is having a lesbian awakening throughout this entire dance. (laughs) Prudence is 100% having a crisis because this is incredibly horny dancing and Valerie does not seem to be aware that she is engaging in this lesbian awakening crisis moment. This is like kissing practice. Yep. This is some cruel intentions shit. (laughs) Absolutely. So Valerie does this exact same dance with the exact same like turning around in a circle and then grinding against your partner shit while she is just looking specifically at Henry to make him jealous. I don't understand this movie at this juncture. (laughs) What is this scene trying to communicate? The decisions here are mystifying to me. Showgirls' decision making is more coherent than this. (laughs) This gets interrupted because Henry is suddenly here now and he shoves Peter away and accuses Peter of abandoning them in the wolf hunt and his dad is dead. But it also sure seems like he is super drunk and trying very hard to be straight. But the hot boy is dancing with someone else. Yeah. (laughs) Henry feels more like he has a crush on Peter throughout this movie than he does a crush on Valerie. At the very least, he has way more, like, emotions when he is talking to Peter. They're supposed to be, like, we both love the same woman emotions, but... Henry feels way more emotions, like, generally, for Peter. Even if those emotions are anger, it's anger probably because he... (laughs) I feel for Peter what I don't for Valerie, but I'm supposed to feel this way about Valerie, therefore I'm angry at Peter. Yes. (laughs) I feel like that is 100% what is happening here i don't think the movie intended that but that's absolutely what's going on it's the only thing that makes sense here yeah everybody stops and watches this altercation and it just sort of like ends like peter just kind of leaves and i think henry leaves valerie's just like 
Peter, I want to fuck. Peter, I want to fuck. And Peter's like, I could eat you up in the horniest way possible because also Red Riding Hood. Yeah, it gets like a wolf. Yeah, this movie does occasionally remember that it's supposed to be a Red <laughs> Riding Hood movie, and this is one of those moments. I mean, he straight up does this like, oh, Valerie, I'm wrong for you. I'm such a bad boy. You shouldn't want to love me. <laughs> I could do sex with you. Like, he's just prostrating himself up against a wall at this point, being like, don't want to make out with me. <laughs> a PG-13 movie, so they have like some really furious makeouts and some questionable something. It's like Schrodinger's sex scene. Yes. Is what it is. Yeah, it's maybe dry humping. Do they fuck? Do they not? Who knows? It's really unclear, but it's very horny. It is really horny. But again, like they're horny in the same room together, not necessarily horny for each other. They're horny at each other. Yeah. And then they like get interrupted by something they leave she like snatches something that he has i think it's that big auspicious necklace that he wears sometimes but we never really get any explanation of what it's supposed to be i mean later she reveals she's got a knife in her boot so maybe it's his knife i mean i'd be up for that i like the version of valerie that just sort of steals knives from hot guys (laughs) that's a character i can get behind but she's not really in this film unfortunately seduce men steal their knives i mean Profit. (laughs) There's not even any question marks. The profit's right there. You now have more knives. (laughs) So we go back to the party. There's like some coal walking and dancing. And then Valerie's like, I sense something. And now it's a wolf fight scene. You wolf fight scene. The wolf leaps in. There's Gary Oldman and his men fight the wolf. And honestly, Gary Oldman and his men kind of kill more people in this scene than the wolf does. (laughs) There's a lot of stray crossbow bolts. Yeah. So this wolf design, it's the big shaggy, bigger than a regular wolf wolf kind of thing. I feel like the way that his haunches are designed is a bit more like not quite wolfy, just more like, I don't know, fantasy animal-y. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I kind of like it. It looks vaguely janky in the same way that the horse from Shadow of the Colossus looks vaguely janky. Yes, a very appealing sort of jank for me anyway. Yeah, you look at it and you're like, that muscle group doesn't exist in a quadruped. (laughs) (laughs) So after a a long and intense fight scene, which I personally don't want to get too in-depth describing because it's it's a a fight scene in the middle of a movie that doesn't know what kind of movie it is. It's, It's here because they think you got bored. Gary Oldman's just like stands in the middle of this empty town square yelling, I warned you! I warned you! Still don't know what accent that is. Don't know, but Gary Oldman is just being his Gary Oldmanist in this movie. He is acting. I don't know what he's attempting to achieve with the acting, but he is certainly here. There is certainly a lot of acting in this movie. <laughs> the wolf does run around and eventually Valerie is cornered with Roxanne and the wolf is approaching. The wolf says something and Valerie's like, you can talk? Valerie. Valerie. And he's like, my good girl. Yeah, so here's the way the wolf always talks. The wolf always talks like it's a really scratchy version of someone trying to be sensuous. Like, oh, Valerie. Valerie, come away with me. Let me take you away, Valerie. And I'm not doing a very good version. You and I are the same, Valerie. I'm not the same as you. You're a killer too, Valerie. What happened to the rabbit? Rabbit snares are pretty common, my dude. 
you tell me that she didn't kill like multiple rabbits as a kid because that's good eating flashback to the rabbit you're like a peasant living in a little village in the woods you have killed multiple animals by the time you're an adolescent you've killed so many animals you've killed so many animals you dream of leaving this village, Valerie. And we do this weird thing where, like, we zoom in on the wolf's eye. And then we cut to, like, the sweeping shots of a snowy mountainside with Henry and Valerie walking along the mountain. And she's in this enormous red cape that's, like, 20 feet long for some reason. It's like they did this shoot for the trailer and then they realized they had to put those scenes in the movie somewhere. <laughs> It's definitely like it's more of a conceptual kind of thing than it is anything that actually functions. Like, why would they be here on this peak, in the snowy peak, in this cape that's 20 feet long? I'm just so confused by these. I don't know. They use it again later. It's very weird. The wolf's eyes briefly change and Valerie's like, human eyes, dark brown. Oh no, the color that most of the people in the village have. <laughs> Do you have any idea how little this narrows it down? <laughs> yeah, dark brown eyes. No one has dark brown eyes. No one has brown eyes. Everyone knows that the most powerful eyes and common eyes are blue. Everyone's got blue and green eyes, right? I'm pretty sure. No one has like brown or black eyes or anything or... Not only that, but when they say human eyes, I look at the human eyes and they just look the same. They look the same as the wolf eyes. They're just not yellow at the moment. I actually read an article, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Apparently in the script, it was like the wolf's eyes, when it becomes a human's eyes, was supposed to be looking at Valerie with love and affection. What? Didn't communicate that at all. No. And that's why it shifted to human eyes, was to show the wolf had love and affection for Valerie. No? No. No, though. <laughs> disagree? <laughs> Did not succeed. No. Nope. Did not. No. It sure did it. Valerie's like, I killed the rabbit. And he's like, I know. Then come with me. And honestly, it's not quite up there with the Vincent Price, I have a skeleton marionette in House of Haunted Hill. Come with me, murderous. Come with me. <laughs> God, how much better would this movie have been if he had just used the word murderous, though? <laughs> It'd be so much better. I feel like that would have kicked it up a couple of notches in my estimation. Murderous. The wolf is like, I am coming back for you before the blood moon wanes. And then he like runs away because Gary Oldman has appeared on scene and just sort of like, just sort of waves a sword at the wolf. And they escort Valerie and Roxanne. She's the orange character. Roxanne! She's ginger. I don't mean that like she is orange skinned or anything. I'm saying that her costuming is yellows and oranges. And that is the only thing that makes her stick out yep. with like the ginger hair. I mean, it's not like these characters have personalities. Valerie just has some indistinct friends. Roxanne has one character trait and that's cares for brother. Yes. She's like, so you talk to the wolf? And she's like, no, no, no. It talked to us. It's like, no, it did not speak words to me. <laughs> Valerie's like, oh, Okay, well, don't tell anyone that. They will think I'm a witch. <laughs> and Roxanne's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I love this idea here of a character who's just like, oh, ha. Maybe don't tell anyone that. <laughs> <laughs> An uncommon amount of foresight. For this character specifically. <laughs> Valerie is not a cunning character. Nope. So they go into the church. They wait there in the churchyard with everybody else until sunrise, which we're going to come back to that. 
here pretty soon. And so we go through the next morning and we sort of survey the carnage. There's a bunch of corpses, maybe a lot of them with crossbow bolts in them. Who can say? (laughs) Don't worry about it. Gary Oldman's like, all right, this is a very powerful wolf. There's a long, uninterrupted bloodline of wolf. Let's introduce some new rules. Look for the signs of a werewolf, and I'm going to read these off to y'all. Isolation. Witchcraft. The Black Arts, which is different from witchcraft. (laughs) Abnormal behavior. Strange smells. You're describing so many gay millennials. (laughs) Especially after this much lockdown. Definitely the strange smells part. Absolutely. And then we hear this gasping. One of the soldier's brothers is still alive. One of the only black men in this movie, by the way. Yeah, he got bit by the wolf. Gary Oldman's like, it's a blood moon. A man bitten is a man cursed. And he stabs him. Yeah, much to the distress of his brother, who was the only other black guy in the movie. Also, hold on to that, by the way. Yeah. That Gary Oldman stabs this guy's brother. Let's take a quick break here, folks. So werewolves can't cross on a holy ground. There's a finite number of people in the village. Yeah. Walk them into the church. Just put them all in the church. Walk them in one by one to the church. And if they refuse to walk, they're probably the werewolf. And if they start, you know, lighting on fire as they step onto holy ground, well, toe the tip, there's your wolf. This has a really simple solution. But no, we're going to do a witch hunt instead, because this movie wants to be about stuff, I guess. Now we start the phase of the movie where Valerie notices eye colors a lot. (laughs) We are going to try to set up a mystery here. A murder mystery. And here's the part where our fact comes into play. We're going through this knowing who the wolf is. None of these people she's about to suspect are the wolf. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really going to lean hard in a couple of different characters' directions. And that's going to make it really weird that the wolf is incredibly, like, horny and possessive of Valerie. Yep. You can't lay out this many red herrings and not foreshadow who it actually is. Nope. (laughs) Otherwise, you get the twist of this movie... And it's distinctly disturbing. Yeah, it's just... But not in like a cool murder disturbing kind of way. No. Mm -mm. Peter and Valerie try to talk. And then Valerie's like, oh my God, Peter has brown eyes. (laughs) But she has never noticed in her entire life. (laughs) Everyone in this village has brown eyes. (laughs) Peter has brown eyes. And oh my God, Lucas, Lucas, can we get like an audio sting whenever someone has brown eyes? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a dun 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 <laughs> Peter has brown eyes Peter <laughs> has brown eyes <laughs> he's like Valerie come away with me we should go now come away with me and she's like the wolf said come away with me <laughs> oh my god what if Carly Rae Jepsen is the wolf <laughs> A murder mystery as conducted by a moron. (laughs) (laughs) Look, she's the common clay. (laughs) Also, she turns around and she's like, ah, because grandma is here and she has some furs because, you know, it's cold and it's the winter. And she like forgot her grandma was in the house. (laughs) And then she's like, grandma has brown eyes. (laughs) And like grandma's like, all right, your mom got scratched by a wolf, but like, she's actually fine. But I guess she needs to sleep it off, even though it's like some light facial scratches. You can get scratched worse from a tree. 
And then she uh, starts feeding Valerie's mom some kind of concoction that is going to make her feel better. And Valerie's like, witchcraft. (laughs) Or maybe just herbal medicine. There's really no distinction at this point. And like Valerie tells her grandma about the wolf talking to her. And she's like, did you tell anyone else that a wolf talked to you? (laughs) But of course, like the movie stages this as an incredibly threatening scene where she's like pacing around like, did the wolf talk to you? Have you told anyone? Because it's trying really hard to angle for a grandma is the wolf thing, which, you know, yeah. the story of Red Riding Hood has like, oh, three, maybe four characters. Yeah. And grandma's one of them. <laughs> but all I can think about in this scene is like, look at all the glass in these windows. That's a lot of glass. <laughs> that is a lot of glass, especially for a peasant. There's so much glass in these windows. For a poor peasant family. With beautiful, rich dyes and so much glass. But you're right. Henry Lazar is Valerie's only chance for a better life. (laughs) (laughs) Sell the glass, man. So Valerie's like, oh, I need to go fill up this kettle and get more clean water. And then she walks out, ignores the snow right on the ground outside and the fire back in her house to boil it with. And just sort of goes wandering in the village, maybe for like a well or something that should probably be frozen over because it's winter now. Nah, it's fine. I don't understand, Valerie. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Listen, you can't pose dramatically while scooping snow into a bucket. <laughs> so we find out a couple of things. We find out Claude is still missing. We find out that the soldiers are searching homes. And then Henry comes in. And in the scene that made me convinced that he is trying very hard to be straight, <laughs> but is super gay. He's like, I saw you with Peter. I know you don't want me like that. He can't even talk about penis and vagina sex in a way that sounds remotely like he is into it at all. (laughs) You don't want me like that. Anyway, he's going to break off the engagement. And she gives him the bracelet back. But oh no, Peter has brown eyes. (laughs) Henry has brown eyes. He said Peter. But oh no. Henry has brown eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Valerie! Valerie, everyone has brown eyes! Wait, what color are Amanda Seyfried's eyes? They're blue. Blue. Oh god, good, she's safe. There was a little bit there where I thought that this movie was going to go in the, like, Tyler Durden direction. It turned out she was the <laughs> werewolf the whole time. That would be cool, actually. There are a lot of things in this movie that would actually be super cool if they did it, but they don't. We end this scene lingering on Gary Oldman, who's just walking around town sniffing clothes in a really weird way. Like, <sighs> Just everyone's clothing. Yeah, including a really old fox fur, which like, my dude, that's going (laughs) to smell a bit funky. (laughs) Okay, so disclaimer time. They find Claude in the tower, and like we have said, Claude is, he has some kind of unspecified intellectual disability. He might be on the spectrum. It's played here as he has a witchcraft thing. They say some really awful shit about him. Yep. We don't want to repeat it, but this is about to get kind of out of nowhere, stunningly gruesome (laughs) for this kind of character. If this is something you don't want to hear about, don't blame you at all. Yeah, skip ahead to we'll insert a (laughs) timestamp. 
Skip ahead to... One hour, seven minutes, and ten seconds. And we will catch up with you on the other side because it's not actually going to be important to the plot that it happened. You're not going to miss anything here. So, Claude did a magic trick. So they say he practices the black arts and they say that he's, you know, cavorts with Satan or something. And then they bring out that elephant. You know, the bronze bull, the bronze elephant. It's a bronze bull in Rome, but it's, it's a great big bronze elephant that you can shove someone into while you've got a fire going underneath it. It's like, oh, it's a great torture device to get information. And it's like, you don't get information from torture. Eh, or poorly, you don't get information from people who are screaming constantly. Even the priest in the village is like, he can barely speak at all. He is not a verbal person. Wh what? What though? And Gary Oldman just kind of turns at the guy and yells about how he killed his wife again, because he does that a lot. <laughs> That's basically his gotcha in every conversation is, <laughs> is I killed my wife. Oh yeah, well, I killed my wife, which is a cool thing to brag about. I killed my wife. I'm going to start leaving conversations by, well, I killed my wife. <laughs> so they light a fire under the elephant, and then we cut to a scene of Gary Oldman picking apart some raw meat for his dinner. With his gross little silver fingernails. So Gary Oldman says that what he did is he basically removed his fingernails and created new ones made of silver and they have little claws on them. Yeah. So he can hunt werewolves. Yeah, at the point where you're close enough to kill the werewolf with your little silver fingernails, I think it's ripping your throat out at that point. I think that's the thing that's happening. But it's just like, yeah, I have cool silver fingernails. What's up? And Claude's sister Roxanne comes in to beg for his release and gives him some money, and he's like, oh, that's not enough money, and it's about to get dark again. Yep. She's like, that's not the only thing I can offer, and slowly takes off her outer layers, and then he's like, turn around, and she starts crying as she turns around, and then he laughs at her and sends her away. Yep. And she's like, well, I can give you the name of a witch if you spare my brother, and what the fuck? <laughs> What is happening here, Red Riding Hood? Red Riding Hood, the story about the little girl who goes into the forest and gets misled by a wolf and then, like, gets et? What is this? This movie took a turn, and I'm not sure why any of this is in here. We were having a good time. None of this needs to be in here. What is wrong with you? Yeah, we were having a good time, Red Riding Hood, and then you did this back to back. If you wanted this information about Valerie talking to a wolf to get out, there are so many other avenues you could have taken that didn't involve either of these things. Why? If the tone of the whole piece was like this, that would make sense. Like, if it was consistent with the rest of the movie. Like, there are certain things I don't necessarily enjoy watching in a movie, but if that's the way the story's going then sure, if you think you can say something interesting with that. But this has been a completely different movie up to this point. Yeah. yeah. And then it drops these two scenes back to back. And it's like, this is not from this movie. Nope. This is Game of Thrones shit. And then it goes back to being the first movie again after this. Yeah. Yeah, like, like that just never happened. It's like two scenes for a completely different movie. I don't understand. And I hate this. I hate this so much. I hate this for taking me out of this good, stupid, young adult, supernatural romance drama I was having here. You don't need to, like, tell me that Gary Oldman is a bad dude because he does this kind of shit. You could have just showed me he was a bad dude because, you know, the whole I killed my wife thing. Yeah, I feel like and you've already done your establishing character work there. This is not necessary. This is bad. 
and you should feel bad about this. And I'm really upset because we're about to get into the good shit. <laughs> because, okay, hi, welcome back, probably. Yeah, welcome back. This is your timestamp to things are done. So Valerie has been accused of witchcraft. So now we have to have a trial. And so Roxanne sort of mumbles through these accusations of witchcraft for Valerie, who is in chains, by the way, which is like, oh, she can climb the tallest trees. She can run faster than all the girls. Who is this character? Where has she been? Can I meet her? None of these things seem to describe Valerie, who has spent the movie so far wandering aimlessly around the village, having conversations, making out once or twice, and noticing people's eye colors. <laughs> this feeds into a certain fantasy for this character. It is the star of a YA novel fantasy. <laughs> this is the girl who is prettier than everyone else and better than everyone else, but hated by everyone else because they're just jealous of how awesome she is. <laughs> That's the only reason this is in here. And there's also a bit later that like, that's the only reason that that is in there. Oh, absolutely. Because it doesn't actually like correspond to the character that we have seen so far in this movie. No, it just feeds the fantasy of the target demographic for who they want to come see this movie. Roxanne hits her with like the really compelling evidence, which is she wears a red cloak, the devil's color, <laughs> and she can talk to werewolves. <laughs> Okay, I feel like you're burying the lead with, and she can talk to, <laughs> why would you line it up so it's like, oh, yeah, the most important detail, she can talk to werewolves, but also I'm going to waste your time by talking about how she's better at climbing trees than all the other girls, because she's not like other girls. She's worse. <laughs> this is a village obsessed with wolves. You just had to talk about wolves. You just had to mention the werewolf thing. And so they're like, all right, so... That sounds like she's a witch. Sounds witchy to me. And nobody does it here in this movie, but I would just like to reiterate and put this energy out into the universe once more that it is my dream to be cast in a movie as the bitter crone who yells, burn the witch! <laughs> and starts the entire crowd yelling, burn the witch. <laughs> I want that for myself. Okay, so are there any filmmakers in the audience? I deserve this. Thank you. Call me. He's like, okay, so... Do you know the name of the wolf? And she's like, well, no, but he wants me to come away with him. Which is not information I think you should have revealed to Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, you could have just lied. <laughs> you could have just lied. Not everyone needs to know everything about you. You can just lie. You can just lie to people. Did you know you can do that, Valerie? <laughs> no, she's too good and honest and pure and something something. But also... It turns out that maybe she sh definitely shouldn't have told him because, oh, Gary Oldman has brown eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's playing a game of guess who with the most vague <laughs> questions. Does your person have hair anywhere on his body? Does your person have brown eyes? Does your person have a nose? Does your person have lips? You know what the dumbest part of this is? What's that? Gary Oldman has blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Did they put contacts on Gary Oldman? They put contacts on Gary Oldman. I bet they just filmed like somebody else's eyes and just kind of casually swapped those on. They're like, we're not going to have too many super duper close-ups of the eyes. It'll be fine. Gary Oldman spends a lot of time scowling. It's fine. Now we have the scene where Henry and Peter actually talk to each other. And boy, they are so impassioned. They have so many feelings. Yeah, there's some sexual tension here. Don't you care about her? I do care. I do care. <laughs> 
they are men who want the same thing and they are at odds with each other. And one of them is definitely in love with the other one. <laughs> Henry, honey, you are trying so hard to be straight, but you want to kiss that boy. You do want to kiss that boy, Henry. You want to squeeze that boy's butt. They're like, oh, we two men in the love triangle, quote unquote. Oh, we both care so much for this one girl for some reason. To be fair, it is still a love triangle, just the axis isn't what the movie thinks it is. That's true. The axis of this love triangle is Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Henry and Peter make a plan to rescue Valerie. Okay, here's the really big sexual tension part. They're like, if you're the wolf, I'm gonna chop your head off. <laughs> oh boy. I would do the same to you. <laughs> Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. I think also Henry's just very stupid. Yes. So he's very stupid. He's pretty sure you're supposed to like girls, and this is how you like girls. <laughs> By having a lot of feelings about boys. <sighs> oh, oh, Henry. So they make this pact to have a plan. I also really like the, if you're the wolf, I'll chop your head off. Well, I'll chop your head off. Fair enough. <laughs> Like a real exchange in this movie. What a series of lines. <laughs> we also find out very briefly they have released Claude. Claude passed away. It's implied that he died in the brass elephant or the bronze elephant. I don't, I'm, the elephant. It's made of a metal. But all we really see is him lying on some um, some straw and then Valerie comes in. Not Valerie. His, his sister Roxanne. Roxanne comes in. Roxanne. And like holds his wrist and then starts crying. So presumably he's dead. But again, none of the dead bodies in this movie look dead. That's true. Yeah, none of them look dead and none of them look particularly injured in all anyway. So in that case, let's just headcanon this. He's sleeping. Claude is sleeping. He's very injured, but he's sleeping. He's alive. And he and Roxanne are just going to leave town. <laughs> that sounds great. I love it. Valerie is now locked up in the town prison. Grandma comes to visit, gives her bread and a blanket. And she's like, oh, also, how are you? And Valerie's like, oh, I have a knife. <laughs> and Grandma's like, don't let people know you have that. <laughs> and valerie explains that like what she thinks happened to lucy her older sister who by the way is a character in this movie sort of we haven't talked about her in a while i don't blame you for forgetting that lucy existed lucy gave herself to the wolf because she was in love with henry but it turned out valerie was engaged to henry and grandma's like no no lucy wouldn't do that but she might have responded to henry we don't know anything about lucy's character so you can't just tell me lucy wouldn't do that I don't know a goddamn thing about her. All we really need is for Valerie to be jumping to some wild conclusions so that Grandma can actually approach the correct conclusions <laughs> through her own investigations. But tragically, the movie is not about her. No, because Grandma like, okay, I'm going to make a leap. So if that's true, maybe Lucy responded to Henry like Henry might be the wolf. And then she goes to investigate that. But there is this good bit. Where, like, she hands the stuff to the guard, says, make sure Valerie gets that. The guard blatantly takes a bite of an apple that's on here. Grandma glares at him and then smacks it out of his hand. <laughs> Julie Christie rules. <laughs> she is legit the best character in this movie. And I don't think that's just because of all the ambient witch energy that she's carrying around with her. There needs to be a Red Riding Hood movie that's just about Grandma who rules. <laughs> Grandma goes to basically just accuse Henry of being a wolf. Henry is doing some more blacksmithing, by the way. Still doesn't have his shirt off. 
absolute crime. Mm. We also, like, do these weird shots where we linger on these biscuits that Grandma brings Henry like they're supposed to be important. It very much, like, emphasizes him taking a bite, so, like... Evidently, it's supposed to be some kind of werewolf detecting system, but we never follow up on this. That was several drafts of the script ago. <laughs> and then Grandma's like, so I'm going to insinuate that you're a wolf. And then Henry's like, no, you're the wolf. Because <laughs> he's like, I smelled the wolf back in the cave and you smell like it. Oh, God. Would you believe that they actually have an explanation for this at some point? We have this weird cut where grandma leaves and then we see her in a room that we later figure out is her bedroom. But they don't bother like using an establishing shot of the house or anything to tell us this. Where she just opens up a chest and that's supposed to be like, don't worry, we'll come back to this. You know, I feel like a scene where both characters are convinced that the other one is a werewolf is a scene that can be done very, very well. But unfortunately, one of the parties involved in this version of the scene is very, very stupid. (laughs) Because, like, they're both being like, I know what you're trying to do and it won't work. You're the wolf. No, you. And, like, Henry's a dummy, though. (laughs) Henry is not smart enough to figure out, oh, if we're both saying each other is the wolf like this, then probably neither one of us is the wolf. (laughs) But Grandma's figuring it out, so that's good. Yeah. Oh, Grandma. Oh, Grandma. We have a couple of shots where, like, Peter talks to Valerie's dad and gets him in on the plan to rescue Valerie. They just sort of lay down a line of alcohol across the snow. Valerie's dad kind of gets arrested. Because Gary Oldman doesn't want, quote, the witch's family out and about during this whole human sacrifice process. Yeah, because they're going to put Valerie out on the altar where we saw the little piggy at the beginning next to their weird moon thing. They're going to put a dog mask on her. Because I guess this is an accidental kink at Pride episode. (laughs) (laughs) Like he even like brings her her red cape and it's like your harlot's robes. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, God. I just want people to hand me my clothes and say things like your harlot's robes. (laughs) (laughs) Claps her in irons, kind of paws at her hair a little, which is weird. They give her this like iron wolf mask, which she's like, it was meant to be like a public display of shame. And it's like, girls getting sacrificed. So yeah, I don't think you need that much more, but okay. Yeah, I don't think you do. Also, why are you putting a wolf mask on the person you want to feed to the wolf? (laughs) (laughs) Why isn't it a sheep mask or something? Just a really agonizing metaphor. It's definitely one of those things kind of like, it makes me think of Snow White and the Huntsman where like they had this visual and then they tried to build the movie around this one visual. (laughs) But you know, it didn't really work out all that well. Valerie sits down on the little altar and then we do this stuff with like the eye hole camera for like, she's wearing a mask, like what in Halloween. We go through a bunch of people. A bunch of people come up to talk to Valerie. Her mom cries. She sees the father. The priest is like, wow, this kind of got out of hand. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) And also, he has brown eyes. (laughs) He has brown eyes. (laughs) And then the weirdest character interaction in this movie happens. Yeah, Prudence comes up. You know, Prudence. The girl from the dance. The lesbian awakening Prudence, played by Casey Roll. I wrote down her lines. Roxanne wanted me to tell you how sorry she is. She only said those things to save her brother. But I wanted to say, I don't know what to say. 
Like, oh, you don't have to say anything. But I want to. I want you to know that you may have fooled Roxanne, but you don't fool me. Not anymore. You're always too good, too pretty, too perfect. You tricked us. You made me feel weird things about women. <laughs> now you're going to get what you deserve. Yes, it won't be long now. The wolf is coming. And also, she has brown eyes! <laughs> Three things. One, lesbian awakening. <laughs> Two, this is feeds again into the whole YA main character syndrome here. She's too pretty, she's too perfect, and therefore everyone hates her. Bitches be jealous. Uh, three, Casey Roll also has blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> character has had no lines before that we can remember that were important to be attributed to her. And here she is, basically being upset that she is now extremely horny for Valerie, has probably been horny for <laughs> Valerie for a while. <laughs> that is translated into, I want her dead. You know, I'm betting this monologue is what got her the gig as Abigail Hobbs and Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> There's This is some powerful Abigail Hobbs energy. It is so horny. It is a smoldering monologue of like, I want to make out with you, and then I also want to stab you a lot. I want to see you get ed alive by a wolf. Some complicated emotions happening here. You know, Prudence, it's fine. You're going to find someone who will love you for you and won't use you to get back at a boy who might also be kind of gay. It's not clear. I have some terrible news. Uh <laughs> I have some terrible news for what happens in Hannibal. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be fine. You get two gay dads <laughs> who are both serial killers. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm sure it works out for the best and everyone's happy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Valerie just kind of sits there puzzling it over in her head. This mystery that she has created for herself where everyone in town has brown eyes. <laughs> Because brown eyes do this common color, Valerie. Dumbass. <laughs> Why did they pick brown as the color? Even know. green or hazel would have been better. There are so many blue-eyed <laughs> actors in this movie who they had to digitally give brown eyes. <laughs> but Valerie considers pondering this over when the plan starts going off. Henry just sort of walks by and, like, sets on fire the trail of alcohol and then basically sets the whole village on fire because the village is wood, by the way. Yeah! Nobody seemed to think about this before they decided <laughs> to pull the trigger on this plan. Everybody gets into a fight with the soldiers. Henry in particular. I think Peter. I don't know. There's a big fight scene here. It's not very good. Gary Oldman, like, stabs the priest in the middle of it. So that's cool. He's dead. He just got one stab. He's dead. We don't have to worry about the priest anymore. Character arc aborted. <laughs> they capture Peter and decide to lock him in the elephant, but they don't turn the fire on or anything. So they just want to put him in an elephant for a little while. Yeah, they just lock him in, a, in an elephant. It's, it's not a hot elephant. It's just he's in the <laughs> elephant. They just didn't have anywhere else to put him. <laughs> and because they're trying to make us think, they're trying to lead the idea to maybe Peter being the wolf, which is another red herring, by the way. They have him basically just give this animalistic, Valerie, yelling the elephant for no reason. 
then a very, very loud impact against the door of the elephant. It's not actually a thing. He's just strong, I guess. <laughs> He's just a powerful boy. <laughs> With a lot of feelings <laughs> and fairy tight pants. Yes. Henry has helped Valerie escape. He picked the locks and he's like, oh, where's Peter? He's not showing up at the appointed time. And he's like, if Peter doesn't show up, I'm going to take you away. And Valerie's like, the wolf said, come away with me. Oh, for God's sake, Valerie. <laughs> so Valerie and Henry make a run for the church. Henry takes a crossbow bolt to the shoulder and she like helps him get over to the church. And Gary Oldman's there and he's like, no, you cannot come into the church because the wolf wants you or something. <laughs> but then he pulls her in anyway. Gary Oldman tries to attack the wolf with his sword. Yeah, the wolf is here now. Yeah, the wolf is here now. And Gary Oldman figures he's going to go one-on-one sword combat with a <laughs> horse-sized wolf. Because you know that's a good idea. The wolf just straight up bites off his arm and spits it out. It's kind of great, actually. It, it is actually pretty great how one-sided this fight is. And you've got, like, this whole prop of his dismembered hand with his little silver nails. It's like a perfect mitt, too. It's very good. Yeah, this, by the way, is the <laughs> this is the last point the Silver Sword shows up in the movie. We spent so much time on this fucking Silver Sword. <laughs> and it does not factor into the conclusion of the movie at all. At all. <laughs> Gary Oldman gets Ed up and spit out. And the wolf is like, Valerie, come with me. But step across the gate. Come with me before sun rises. And she's like, Okay, I'll go with you. But then suddenly the town cares about Valerie again. Now we have that scene from the first Spider-Man movie where everyone's throwing rocks at the Green Goblin. Only it's peasants. And they're not even doing anything. No, they just decide to stand between the wolf and Valerie and say, No, you're not taking her away. We care about Valerie a lot. Suddenly. She's so nice. Again, the YA protagonist syndrome fantasy. (laughs) I have done nothing to earn the respect of these people, but they're going to... (laughs) (laughs) They're going to suddenly change their minds about me at the last minute to protect me. They will die to protect me. (laughs) It's not like it's a Spartacus thing. The wolf can just eat everybody if he wants. Yeah, he can definitely do that. But also they're all on holy ground and the wolf can't get anywhere near them anyway. It's a moot point. Literally the wolf can't. Like he tries to put his paw across and like it starts to like burn. (laughs) When we find out who the wolf actually is, I'm guessing he never went to church. I guess he never went to church and nobody thought that was weird or something or like, again, you could have just walked everybody to church one by one and had them cross the threshold. It it was like a village of 180 people. You could have done it. Tops. It's not like you even need a census. Everybody knows everybody and they'll be able to tell you if someone's missing. Yeah, but this is such a specific like fantasy of like, oh, suddenly everyone had persecuted me. Me realizes that they were wrong about me all along and they're going to stand up for me now. It's like, this was just like maybe an hour ago that everyone was there to watch you get like human sacrificed, Valerie. I don't think they all turned around that quick. You got some stuff to talk about with Prudence. To be fair, Prudence was not among the people who decided she was going to stand between the wolf and Valerie. Prudence was not in that group. (laughs) Prudence was like, no, I made my decision. I said what I said. Out of all of Valerie's indistinct group of friends, Prudence decided to sit this one out. The wolf leaves and Gary Oldman is staggering back because he lost a whole ass arm. And oh, who is here but the other soldier whose brother Gary Oldman killed? 
repeating the line, a man bitten is a man cursed. There's this really great part where Gary Oldman's like, oh, but my children will be orphaned. And the guy's like, my brother had children too. And then stabs Gary Oldman. And also we have not seen those children. We will not see them for the rest of the movie. Where are they? What happened to them? I guess they just live with that old lady in the car that we assume was a governess. I don't know. I mean, like, what does this guy make? Is there a wealthy inheritance for wolf hunters with silver fingernails? Is that coming down to them? Did they bother to send someone out to tell the governess and the two kids that dad's dead? (laughs) Or were they just hanging out in that cart outside of town waiting? (laughs) At what point do you think they figured out he's not coming back? (laughs) The guy just sort of yells to the rest of the assembled crowd under the blood moon a man bitten is a man cursed again just in case you forgot that part of the plot. Just in case you forgot. I don't think that guy is ever named in the movie, which is a shame because a better movie, he would have been a more reoccurring character that drove the plot forward. I think in the credits, he's literally just referred to as the captain. Oh my god. So Valerie like passes out, not because she was injured or anything. Smoke inhalation was probably a factor. I guess. Maybe the iron mask was just really hot. She has also been up all night. She has. She like conks out and then we do this sort of dreamy like grease over the lens thing where she sort of goes in and out of consciousness and eventually wakes up and she's in her grandma's bed and grandma's watching her and all right we do the whole what big eyes you have what big ears you have what big teeth you have thing this movie just remembered it's supposed to be a red riding hood movie they were like we are contractually obligated to slot this in somewhere i don't know fever dream whatever Anyway, in the nightmare, Grandma turns into a wolf and attacks Valerie, and then Valerie wakes up in bed next to, I'm guessing, Roxanne. We never get a good look at her. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Roxanne. Roxanne's also asleep. And then Valerie just, like, wakes up, comes down from the loft in their house where she lives. Mom is here, by the way. She's been out of the movie for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing up? Where are you going? And Valerie puts on the cape and grabs a basket, and she's like, I'm going to grandmother's. I think she's in danger. Why would you think that? (laughs) Why would that dream not indicate to you that, I don't know, maybe grandma's the wolf, not grandma's in danger? You know what? Fine. It's fine. We have to get you to grandmother's house somewhere and I'm tired of watching this movie, so. (laughs) She's also like wearing a pink dress now for the first time in the movie. She's done a costume change. Yeah, well, you gotta wear something that goes with the red hood. Right. The harlot's robe. So we see her stop off at the church to get something, and then she goes off into the woods. She sees Henry along the way in the village, and he's like, I'm joining the soldiers to hunt the wolf. This is the last we will see of Henry in the movie. (laughs) So Henry, feeling like he doesn't quite belong in this village, is going to go join a whole bunch of people who are other subjugated minorities in this extremely white area. Henry's Henry's very gay. Henry's very gay. Very gay. Very gay. Very gay. Henry's very gay and he, I hope he finds a lovely soldier man that he can swoon over <laughs> while he is hunting monsters. I hope he has a whole Brokeback Mountain awakening while he's out hunting <laughs> monsters with the soldiers. He's earned it. Because there's some pretty men in that group. Yeah. Henry's done a relatively good job throughout this movie. So this is his reward. <laughs> Still should have taken his shirt off more often. Just, he really just... Nobody in this movie takes their kid off. What the fuck is wrong with it? <laughs> Valerie is like, oh, okay, goodbye, and kisses him on the cheek, tells him to be careful. And again, Henry's reaction to this kiss on the cheek, which is absolutely nothing. Henry is very gay. Yeah. 
so Valerie goes, um, all right, I get one of these. Okay, I've been very good this whole episode. I get one of these. Okay. Into the woods to bring the bread to Gran, who is sick in bed, never can know what lies ahead. For all that I know, she's already dead. <laughs> into the woods and out of the woods and home before dark. So Valerie goes into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Finds Peter. She notices that he has a glove on his hand where the wolf had a hand burned, but also it's winter, Valerie. Everyone wears gloves. It's also winter. Yep. He's got a glove on his other hand, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, he did possibly punch his way out of that bronze elephant. Pretty sure he punched his way out of an elephant. And she's like, don't come near me. And then she realizes, oh, he still has brown eyes. <laughs> and then she stabs him. Yeah, he's like, you won't hurt me. And then she does. <laughs> One of my favorite things in basically any piece of media is when someone says, oh, you won't shoot me or you won't hurt me. And then they are immediately proven wrong. <laughs> No, Valerie stabbing Peter, even under the flimsiest, most circumstantial evidence possible, is still pretty good. It's still pretty funny. So, like, she just sort of stabs him and runs and makes it to Grandma's, breaks in, and she's like, Grandmother, where are you? Oh, she's behind a curtain. And coughing a lot. She's like, oh, have some soup. All sorrows are less with bread. That's right. Eat up, my dear. It's implied grandma's in the soup. This is an element <laughs> of the original myth. Yeah. Right. So grandma's in the soup because the curtain is pulled back and it's dad, which means that dad has been doing a pitch perfect grandma impersonation with only some light <laughs> scratching and also took the time to grind up his own mother and make a stew so Valerie might accidentally eat grandma. There's a lot going on here. This is elaborate. And that's right. Dad's been the werewolf this entire time. The werewolf who has been like, come away with me, Valerie. The sexually charged werewolf. Yeah. This werewolf has been extremely haunt for Valerie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently his dad was a werewolf and his dad before him was a werewolf and he was wanting to pass the werewolf curse along to his eldest child before they ran away together to the city. And there was actually a shot of the werewolf in a city. <laughs> And I don't know why this is here, aside from the fact that maybe there was another cut of the movie that partially took place in a city. I don't know. But the point is, is that he went to go bite his oldest daughter, Lucy, only to find out when she couldn't understand his werewolf telepathy. that oh, Lucy's <laughs> not my daughter. So he killed Lucy. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, my bad. But also, I did slash my wife and killed Lucy's actual dad. And also, let me explain the part where Henry smelled the wolf on Grandma for the audience because Valerie was not in that scene and was not told about that scene. But he needed to explain it anyway. <laughs> like, also, I was there just off screen and there was a very powerful breeze that wafted through the forge and he smelled me but a couple of feet away. And then Grandma went home and sniffed some of her dead husband's old things because she'd lived with that smell her whole life because my dad, her husband, was also a werewolf. This this explanation is getting rather long. <laughs> <laughs> you spent so much time building up other people who might be the wolf, only to go like, no, it was the character we never built up anything about. What a twist. That's unsatisfying. F*** off. I feel like there was a subtler version of this explanation in a different cut of the movie, but unfortunately the focus test audience was very stupid. You spent so much time saying like, oh no, it's definitely one of the two boys or maybe grandma. 
but it wasn't either of them. So now the wolf just feels like he wants to make out with Valerie, but also it's her dad. Yeah. This movie sucks. And he's like, you're my good girl. Don't. Don't. Do not. Don't do that. Do not. What I actually meant by come with me, Valerie, was not a romantic take you away, but let me make you a wolf and we'll do some daddy-daughter time in the city where we kill people together. Won't that be fun, kiddo? Won't that be fun? I think the Casey Roll character might be more into that. So he stumbles through this whole explanation that struggles to make all of the weird romantic tension into a filial thing, which again, don't. Yeah. Don't do this. And he's like, my blood already courses through your veins. I'm stronger than he was. You'll be even stronger than me. Take the bite. Take the bite. Be a cool werewolf, Valerie. (laughs) You're going to be a super strong werewolf. No downside. This is going to be dope. You don't even, like, lose your control over yourself or anything. You just turn into a wolf once a month. That sounds dope. That sounds dope as hell, Valerie. Do it. But instead, she's like, there must be a god because you're the (laughs) devil. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) I love that fucking line. What a line. What a line. And he's like, and you're the devil's daughter. (laughs) Yeah. Um... (laughs) (laughs) You know, I feel like this line could have worked in a movie where faith was a theme at all. It's just kind of out of nowhere is this line. I mean, we've seen the doors of the church. There's like a wolf devil on the church doors. There's I don't think there's even like a thing of there's not a Mary. There's not a Jesus anywhere in that church. You don't even see the interior of it. It is not interested in that being like any kind of part of the story aside from holy ground. There must be a God because you're the devil. Oh, boy. Lord have mercy. And then after this cool guy line, the door busts in and Peter breaks into the cabin (laughs) and just like, Peter's here, you guys. And he's got an axe. He's got an axe because we we gotta have a fucking woodcutter in this movie. You gotta have the woodcutter in this movie and Peter works with lumber. They were like, oh yeah, one of like the four characters in this story. (laughs) Peter tries to attack Valerie's dad, but he's also a super strong werewolf, so it it is very one-sided. And then Valerie decides to go with, like, Papa, I have something for you. Don't. 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 Don't, though. Stop this. But she's got the goddamn picnic basket and everything. (laughs) She does have a picnic basket. (laughs) And he's just like, Oh, what does my daughter have for me? And he walks towards her. And then as he, like, stands in front of her, Peter's axe smacks into his back. Like, Peter (laughs) threw it across the room. And then Valerie whips away the basket cover to reveal that she has picked up Gary Oldman's silver nail hand and then stabs him with it. (laughs) Of all the very stupid things to come back for the conclusion of this movie, Gary Oldman's dumb silver fingernails. This is the kind of stupid that warps right back around to being dope as hell. Yeah, and this kind of rules. <laughs> this rules, actually. The rest of the movie does not deserve how much this rules. <laughs> There's even, like, a big dramatic flashback as he's getting stabbed, where, like, it goes back to her in slow motion with, like, the ramping and everything, kneeling with the cloak, a perfect semicircle around her on the snow <laughs> as she reverently picks up the silver-fingered hand. <laughs> There wasn't bread in the basket at all. 
It was Gary Oldman's hand. It was Gary Oldman's severed silver fingernail. <laughs> Look, I wish the rest of the movie was this awesomely stupid. Everyone knows it's a common thing in film where if you show someone with silver tip fingernails at the beginning of the movie, someone else has to use that dismembered handful of silver tip fingernails to stab a wolf with by the third act. <laughs> Very common. They teach you this in film school. Yes. <laughs> Annie's got a master's in creative writing. She knows these things. I know what I'm talking about, clearly. So he dies. Yeah, he so dies. Dad is super duper dead. He got axed and stabbed by a silver tip fingernail hand at the same time. And it's at this point, as Dad dies, that the movie directors go, wait, shit, we've had the movie going on how long? Hurry, hurry, we gotta get to the end. Get to the end as fast as possible. Come on, come on, let's go. Let's go now, now, now. Let's go, lesbians, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh, I got bit in a perfect human bite mark like a child <laughs> bit me on the arm. <laughs> When the moon rises, I'll be like him. A beast. <laughs> and then we have like this whole come to Jesus moment for Valerie where she's like, oh, no matter what, Peter was always there for me, except for the parts of the movie where he definitely wasn't there for me. <laughs> Peter was true. And my parents lied about a bunch of stuff. And the thing is that you would think that this would be the point when they would like make out or at least kiss, but they just sort of like absently paw at each other, like kneel before each other in the snow. And then they do the thing from the fairy tale where they like slice the wolf open and stick the rocks in and sink him in the lake because no one can know no one can know that dad was the werewolf because then she'll be persecuted for being a werewolf's daughter. Which is real flimsy, but at least you finally got to the point of sewing stones in the wolf's stomach. <sighs> yep. So they dump him in the lake that is here. There's a lake here, by the way. There's a lake here. We had never seen the lake before. We have never seen this lake before. We didn't know there was a lake. <laughs> we didn't even know there was a lake in which to dump corpses. That could have saved us a lot of time. And then Peter has like a whole angst moment about, I have to leave so I don't hurt you when I change. And we have another one of those like weird flash forward back sideways yeah. moments where we go back <laughs> to the promotional shoot with the 20 foot long cloak on the mountains. And then it's also interspersed with like, I think they're having sex. Pretty sure yeah. they're having sex. But again, it's a PG-13 movie. Yeah. So, so Schrodinger's sex scene, the second. So maybe they're dry humping without their clothes on? Don't know. Don't know what this is. The point is we come back and she's like, I'll wait for you. <laughs> like, I guess she just sort of like disassociated for a minute there. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of Mercedes Lackey books for a second. I was like, are they having telepathy sex? Are they having their like, soul bond sex? Is that what's happening here? But no. No, no. We just assume that at some point maybe they had sex when it was like sunny out because like it's winter now and they that was outside and yeah also <laughs> in the alternate cut of this movie in a later scene you see her with a baby implying that she had peter's baby but that's not this cut of the movie no instead what we do is we do a little denouement montage of her being like it was a brutal winter eventually her mom was like oh i guess my husband's dead or gone or something <laughs> No. Eh, whatever. He's just gone. Valerie, you could have at least told your mom that her husband died or something. She's just like, nah, she'll figure it out. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, Henry found his courage. He chose a life of honor, protecting us from darkness. He went to go blank some soldier boys. Yeah. He made out with some pretty soldier boys. Henry realized he was gay. Yeah, just the entire no dames number from Hail Caesar. <laughs> 
is playing in his head as he's riding off with all of these guys. <laughs> the village kept sacrificing and locking up every full moon because it was the only life they knew. And it's really irritating because it's one of those things that sounds like, oh, but I, I have seen the truth and they are fools. Shut up, Valerie. You're like 18. <laughs> Shut up, Valerie. She's like, I went to go live in my grandma's cool witch house. And I got a cat. <laughs> I wish we'd spent more time with the cat. I didn't even know there was a cat until that shot. This same shot is also in springtime, which is where we find out that this house has an awesome garden. Seriously, she just goes outside in the middle of the night to pick some herbs. She doesn't even have to like wander very far from her house. This house is great. I want this house. She's like, oh, and I'm not afraid of the things in the dark anymore. And like she looks up and there's a big wolf there and she smiles because she's going to f*** it. <laughs> uh, that's Red Riding Hood. And then the movie's over. And that's the end of the movie. That's the movie. And like the ending credits have this like little music video thing with a whole bunch of just like footage from like the shoot they did with the 20 foot cape. I cannot believe we did another movie for this podcast that had a symbolic handing over of the daughter from the father to the boyfriend. <laughs> I can't believe we did this twice. It keeps happening. It keeps happening. Valerie, you're going to be a cool witch. Just be a cool werewolf witch. <laughs> Witches already have moon shit. You can have moon shit. You can just be extra moon shit because you're a werewolf. Just be a cool werewolf. I just don't know. She could have been a cool werewolf. <laughs> she could have been a cool werewolf. She could have been a cool witch. She could have been a cool werewolf and like gotten the bite from the werewolf and then like been like, oh, I'll become an even more powerful werewolf. Then I'll just kill you, dad. <laughs> that would have been dope. But no. <sighs> also, that would have tied more into the whole Peter and the wolf tongue in cheek joke. It's true. You can't just say Peter is the wolf. That's stupid. Yeah. He could have f***ed the wolf. Could have f***ed the wolf! They could have both gotten bit and then been werewolves together! The phrase good writing has been diluted by dumb arch armchair <laughs> internet criticism so far. That's like completely useless to know my judge of what like makes it actually a good movie is did it accomplish what it set out to do? And this movie was very clearly trying to be a gothic romance based on Red Riding Hood. It just failed to do that in any meaningful way. Well, that's the thing. This movie tried to be a lot of things. That was its central idea, but it also tried to, like, throw a bunch of other movies into the soup as they were cooking it. Like a thriller, a murder mystery, oh, anything. It doesn't succeed on being any of those things, but it sure tries a lot. So, Mackenzie and I, when we saw this movie for the first time, we saw this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were like, let's go see a movie called Red Riding Hood. This looks terrible. <laughs> we were the only ones in the theater, aside from a couple that was there, obviously, on a date. Clearly on a date. And they set two rows in front of us. That was a mistake on their part. That was a huge mistake on their part. How do you think that relationship turned out? I'm pretty sure it ended. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Annie were trying to be good companions in the theater, but about halfway through, we could no longer do this. We just, like, realized at the same time that this movie was amazingly stupid and we needed to laugh at it a lot so we started mocking it and the boyfriend started laughing along with us and girlfriend got really really mad oh no <laughs> like she stormed out of the theater after the movie was over oh boy and boyfriend just kind of lingered and then slowly followed okay so you guys definitely ended a relationship we did <laughs> we may have ended a relationship yes but 
<laughs> in our defense, Red Riding Hood, though. In our defense, he deserved better. Red Riding Hood was a very stupid movie, and I feel like she could have recognized that. Yeah. Oh, I love this really bad movie. I love this bad movie, too. It's really, really bad. It fails at so many things. It is so obsessed with, like, this one visual notion of a 20-foot cape and a wolf mask. And desperately tries to, like, attach everything to it. And it also is so bad at setting up a mystery. It spends zero time foreshadowing the dad actually being the culprit. You don't need to do this. You don't need to obfuscate the truth of your mystery so much that nobody guesses it because it doesn't make any sense or they weren't led in that direction at all. Everyone has brown eyes. Why was it brown eyes? I mean, it's a small town. It's very likely that everyone has the same eye color. Their marriage pickings have been each other for so many generations. Kit, what's your final fact? Watch NBC Hannibal. Just an ad? Just an ad for a television program on national public broadcasting? Yeah, watch Hannibal. Watch the version of Hannibal with, like, Mats Mikkelsen and Casey Roll, because it rules. And it symbolically does a lot of things that this movie failed at. Mac, what's your final fact? If you're going to put a love triangle in your movie, you gotta make it a love triangle. Henry and Valerie need tension. There needs to be some hint that Valerie would ever actually want to be with Henry over Peter for any reason other than, uh, I guess he's kind of nice. I didn't know, though. Peter is so fuckable. I want to fuck Peter. I want to be with Peter. Peter, 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 Peter. Where's Peter? If Peter is not in my sight, he might be dead. I need Peter right now. <laughs> yeah, Peter is the axis of that love triangle. I, mean, I stand by this. Yeah. Absolutely. Annie, what's your final fact? Becoming a witch is the best possible outcome for literally any story. <laughs> fact. Valerie gets to be a witch at the end of the movie. That's dope as hell. Maltese Falcon, become a witch at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, become a witch at the end. War and Peace, become a witch at the end. <laughs> it works every time. A telltale heart. Become a witch at the end. Okay, folks, I think that's going to do it for us today. Hopefully I've convinced you of our fact that red herrings are not a substitute for foreshadowing because then you get this movie. <laughs> that starts happening, it turns out. Join us next time when we bring you the incredible fact that I have just learned, which is that when you go too fast, you turn into lizards. <laughs> We're going to be talking about some of the best slash worst both at once episodes of Star Trek as a whole. All of Star Trek? All of Star Trek. Maybe not Discovery, just because Discovery doesn't have any single standout like episodes that are completely off the wall. Also, I can't watch Discovery. It is on a streaming service that I do not have. Discovery doesn't have any standout like weird ass episodes like that. But basically anything up to like the end of Voyager is fair game. <laughs> Oh, I hear that gets weird. <laughs> I don't like that cackle. That cackle means bad things. Yeah, what happened with Voyager is that when TNG ended, there was this writer named Brandon Braga who was responsible for most of the really weird episodes at the end of TNG. He's the one who wrote the episode where Crusher f***s a ghost. He was like, hey, can I come work on DS9? And they were like, you're a lunatic. No. So they put him in charge of Voyager instead. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this should be a wild ride then. Okay, well, join us next time when we go over bad Star Trek that is actually really good Star Trek, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> and until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Hello, everyone. Producer Lucas here. Annie was clearly so hopped up on 20-foot capes and space ghosts f***ing that she forgot to do the outro to the show.
Also, I'm not sure she can be trusted, because Annie has brown eyes. So I'm here to tell you that I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks, and you can find it wherever podcasts are downloaded. It's edited by me, Lucas Brown, who has blue eyes, and who also hosts a podcast called The Math of You. Go check it out. You can find the Crooked Russian Cam team on Twitter at CRC Podcasts, on Tumblr at crookedrussiancam.tumblr.com, or on their website, crookedrussiancam.horse, or if you're nasty, crookedrussiancam.gay. If you want to support the show, a like, rating, or subscribe on the platform of your choice is extremely helpful, helps the metrics, and helps other people find the show. If you want to support with dollars, you can go to patreon.com slash thegemjam. People who pledge get access to early episodes, they get show notes, they get bonus content for all the shows, including Date Me Dammit and Gem Jammer, which are both excellent, and you should watch or listen to them as well. Join us next time for some weird Star Trek, and we have fought you. Are we good? Yeah, if the ready check is followed by yelling at the cat, it's not it's not, it's not <laughs> means ready. you're not ready. <laughs> I was ready until he flung himself at my feet. Okay, I'm ready now. Hang on, I got I gotta close the window. One of the buskers outside has started up and he's doing Eye of the Tiger on Trumpet, and I'm not sure we want this looping behind our episode. I'm for it. It's the Eye of the Tiger, it's the cream of the fight, it's rising up through the talents of our rivals. This is where we find out that none of you remember how Eye of the Tiger goes. No, we don't. I do. I played it on tuba, so I got the part. Incredible.